KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a journey through computation, data analysis, and real-world applications. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu. It's time for Midday Edition on KPBS. Today we are talking about the latest uses of fast-advancing AI technologies. I'm Jade Hindman. Here's to conversations that keep you informed, inspired, and make you think. We'll explore how local hospitals are using artificial intelligence. It's being used and in a lot of these pilots, you know, where it's used in small groups of physicians at each of the health systems here in San Diego, but it isn't been widely embraced. Plus, the latest discoveries in how the technology could help patients, and one local journalist let artificial intelligence run her life for a week. She'll join the conversation to tell us how that turned out. That's ahead on Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Artificial intelligence is finding its way into just about every field imaginable, but especially the medical field, where real-world benefits to physicians and patients alike are being explored. And a recent grant awarded to the Scripps Research Translational Institute by the National Institute of Health will help further the fast-developing relationship between AI and medicine. Dr. Eric Topol is founder of the Scripps Research Translational Institute and joins us now. Dr. Topol, thanks for being here. Thanks, Jay. Always good to be with you. So first, congratulations on receiving a very large NIH grant, nearly $50 million. What will this money help fund? Well, it's uh, the fourth cycle of our innovation grant from NIH that we use to advance individualized medicine. We use digital sensors and genomics and AI uh, to understand the uniqueness of each person uh, and uh, promote their health. And also, of course, training the future uh, physicians and scientists that will help uh, do the same. That is uh, a whole idea of precision medicine and individualized um, attention. So things like how we screen for cancer and how we prevent diseases that otherwise people are high risk to manifest. How significant is this grant for the San Diego region? Well, it's certainly one of the larger grants, but it's also, I think, one of the really important points of San Diego. We are a life science capital of the country and the world here. So many great things are happening uh, at the different institutions on the Mesa. No less, of course, uh, a lot of the life science industry in the region So we're really privileged uh, that we here in San Diego have some of the most extraordinary science and support by the NIH. You know, a a big area that the Institute has focused on in recent years, as you mentioned, is AI. Are there plans to use this funding in that area? Or maybe I should be more specific and say, how are those funds going to be used in that area? Yeah, that's actually our biggest concentration. That's the big project that uh, goes for the next seven years. We call it multimodal AI because what it means is bringing all the layers of data about any given person. So, for example, 
you know, we envision that hospitals will largely be different in the years ahead where only the sickest people in the intensive care unit or needing an operation or an emergency department visit. But otherwise, all the other patients will be at home and they'll have sensors and they'll have all their data, the layers of data like their electronic health records, uh, their environment and their sensors, all um, with the medical knowledge, all, everything that's ever been published uh, relevant to that person, continuously uh, integrated and processed and providing a surveillance so that the person doesn't need to go to the hospital, doesn't have any um, compromise. Uh, by the same token, the virtual health assistant, where you would be coached if you're interested to not have a condition that you're at risk, or if you have a condition to try to manage it far better than we do today. So these are some of the projects that we have uh, as part of the, the big grant. You know, when we last spoke, you were at a at a breaking point uh, with AI in medicine. Since then, experts in the field have been discussing the possibilities of chat GPT-4 and its potential applications. What are your thoughts on this now that it's been out for a few months? Well, Jade, this is the biggest thing to transform medicine that we've ever seen. Uh, this GPT-4, which was a jump on its predecessor, and then many more of these large language models also known as generative AI to come. The capabilities are just extraordinary in medicine and healthcare. So it's not just the fact that we are already seeing that you don't have to uh, sit at a keyboard as a doctor or a nurse, but you can just have the conversation made into not just great notes, but all the other things that you'd want to do in terms of ordering uh, tests or prescriptions or follow-up appointments and nudging patients about the things that um, that they need to attend to. But it's also about um, being the front door for patients to be able to ask questions, concerns about their health, uh, how, to, how to preempt the need for physicians as a front door where it's hard to access them. We're already seeing how many examples that the questions can be answered as well or even better uh, in many cases um, with these large language models. So the future here, no less the things I talked about, like um, the gutting of hospitals and virtual health coaches and so many other things will eventually take hold. And that's why it's so exciting. We've never had these capabilities before. I'm curious, with the advancement of AI, do you think that will free doctors up to really study their patients in their practice more? Yeah, that's actually, to me, the overarching goal is that the biggest problem we have when there's a visit, whether it's in a clinic or a bedside in a hospital, is there's not enough time because physicians are, are really pressed hard and squeezed. And so the average time with a patient is less than seven minutes in a, in a clinic visit. That's not adequate at all. So the whole idea is to get the gift of time. And as you've alluded to, Jay, the idea is that when you see a patient, all that information is, is basically distilled, crystallized. So you don't have to go searching through pages and pages of the person's electronic chart and up to date with respect to all the medical knowledge pertaining to the patient. So you don't have to be necessarily reading all the literature or looking it up after you see the patient. Uh, and so the help in making more accuracy and diagnosis and also 
re reducing the need for visits because some of that can be accomplished through these um, large language models. So that gets us to patients having more autonomy, doctors and nurses being less compressed, for less, less squeezed for time, and giving back this gift of time to patients so that the relationship, the patient-doctor relationship can be restored to the way it used to be many decades ago and potentially even supersede that, which would be extraordinary. Also with this, the large language models, would this type of AI be able to sort of compare notes from the specialist that one is seeing, put it all together and give a diagnosis much faster? Yeah, you're touching on something that's really pretty remarkable. Um, when there, you, you not only can get a second opinion or a first opinion, but you can then audit that opinion by just, you know, having a new conversation. Uh, and so, yes, that we have a serious problem with diagnostic accuracy in this country with more than 12 million serious diagnostic errors per year. And so the whole idea is that now we have a kind of auxiliary pathway to get information to help promote diagnostic accuracy. And the other thing to note about it is not just about uh, text and speech. It's also about images. So you'll be able to take your x-ray or your past slide and put it into uh, one of these models to get a second opinion. So the, the ability to get, uh, of course, so much of this has to be validated and there's everyone knows about this hallucination issue where the chatbot can make stuff up, which obviously we can't tolerate uh, that uh, to any degree. But this is some opportunities that we've never seen before. And the high on the list is getting far more accurate diagnoses. Dr. Topol, I want to bring up this latest article from the New York Times. The headline reads, AI may someday work medical miracles. For now, it helps do paperwork. <laughs> what are your thoughts on that assessment? Yes, that was a really good article this week, uh, which got to the point about reducing the toll of data clerk functions for clinicians. And it gave many examples at University of Kansas and University of Pittsburgh, where doctors are just having the conversation with their patients. It's making these great notes uh, and taking care of all the other mechanical things. Like I mentioned, you know, making uh, follow appointments, uh, doing pre-authorization to an insurance company so the doctors don't have to deal with that burden and so many other things to get towards keyboard liberation. And one of the doctors said, you know, it takes me now 20 minutes to what it did take two hours. But the other thing that was really striking about this, Jade, was that the patients really loved it because it gave them information that they'd never had before. Uh, it gave them the full note, the full conversation, and pointed out that 80% of what's discussed at a visit is forgotten by the patient. So to have a record of everything that was discussed and be able to do this trust and verify whereby when the note is made, if there's any questions, it then will link right to the conversation where that point was being made. So unlike the use of these um, GPT large language models for hallucination, the good part here is everything can be fully indexed to what was said. There, there's complete transparency, if you will, and trust. So this is a big movement going on right now. 
And throughout the country, uh, we'll be seeing the use of notes based on the conversation rather than you know clicking away. And it brings back face-to-face -face contact, listening to patients, uh, and that humanity that's been largely missing, um, the, the human-human bond that is essential for the practice of medicine. You know, as someone working in the field, how do you reconcile the possibilities that AI can lead to uh, versus the limitations in how we use it now? Well, you know, we have to compare it to the standard of today. And remember, you know, 50% of doctors are below average, right? Unfortunately, that's true. And that means part of their diagnosis or their communication or whatever that you're you're looking at in terms of how doctors function, there's a lot who are below average. And so while large language models will never be perfect, they they are um, showing us already here in uh, 2023 some capabilities that are pretty extraordinary. And so the point here is that you have humans in the loop. You still have doctors providing oversight, but you have, uh, in many ways, uh, uh, another uh, checkpoint, another pathway to get information, to help make diagnoses, to make lives easier for patients and physicians, giving more autonomy to patients. So, for example, today, you know, people can do a Google search, and that information they get about their health is oftentimes very misleading. And now they can, you know, search ChatGPT or GPT-4, uh, and um, there will be other ways soon that are even more powerful than what we have today. So it's never going to be perfect, but look look at the standards we have today with respect to how we do searches and our interactions with doctors that are not always getting the right information. So I think it's it's going to be another important source, and most people in the years ahead will be using AI as part of their healthcare. You know, there's there's often a stark divide in the kinds of medical outcomes for people of color compared to white patients. How do we use AI to help close the racial divide for medical care in America and really check the biases that exist? Yes, well, this is a biggie because a lot of the AI inputs, unfortunately, like the genomics era that we've been seeing for the last couple of decades, are too heavily weighted by people of European ancestry and not enough of uh, particularly African, but also Asian ancestry. So being on the lookout for uh, what are the populations where the inputs are available are critical. So interrogating these models for the, the inputs is essential. And then all the other aspects of being able to assure fairness, lack of bias, it's typically not in the algorithm itself, but rather what's put in. Uh, it's it's embedded in our culture. But in medicine, this is really important. We've seen flagrant examples that if we don't have broad, diverse population input across all ancestries, all ethnicities, that we can have flawed outputs and interpretation. So this requires a lot more attention. But one thing we can say is that this is basically software it's inexpensive and it can be applicable throughout the world. And so we've already seen the examples of, let's say, smartphones that have a ultrasound probe attachment being used in the hinterlands of Africa uh, and India and being able to do imaging across any part of the body 
without even people trained to do ultrasound imaging, no less AI interpretation. So there's a lot of opportunities here where AI could bridge the inequality, and we shouldn't lose sight of that. There's there's many examples, uh, and already around the world, there is a lot of software to uh, diagnose TB accurately in places of low and middle income countries that didn't have resources. And we'll be seeing much more of that in the years ahead. Is it possible for these AI models to learn against each other to become more efficient? Yes. Um, This is really interesting, too, because we're going to see more and more AIs talking to AIs, right? Um, You're going to have your own AI chief of staff, Jay, that's talking to some other AI, so you don't have to go to the meeting and you get all the, 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 the juice, all the notes and what's important, what the summary of the meeting. And also, you know, auditing each other for the adequacy, quality of its information. So we've talked a little bit about, you know, the AI supporting humans, but we haven't yet gotten to just now um, AIs uh, interrogating one another or exchanging information. So there's this fear, of course, that AIs are going to somehow take over. I I think that's um, greatly exaggerated, but we are going to see, like, for example, in the healthcare world, we're already seeing, so instead of doctors having to fill out all these pre-authorization forms for a patient to get a particular medication or a test, um, the, it's done by AI, and then the insurance company has an AI that goes back and forth with it. There's no humans in the loop there uh, and, until, it be, if indeed, it becomes necessary. We'll be seeing that sort of thing across the board. Do you know if there's any healthcare systems here in San Diego using AI? It seems like it takes forever to get an appointment, and I would imagine the use of AI might expedite these things. Do you know if it's being used? It's being used, uh, and in a lot of these uh, pilots, you know, where it's used in small groups of physicians at each of the health systems here in San Diego, but it isn't been widely embraced. Uh, And I think, you know, that's going to happen more over the next year or two, where you see the example you've given where maybe you don't even need a a physical appointment. Maybe you just need front door help from uh, one of these uh, generative AIs, Uh, but also a triage so that you can get an appointment much easier. The average person in the country takes three weeks to get an appointment with their primary care doctor. That's not adequate and forces many people to go wind up going to an emergency room, which is not a good choice uh, in many uh, not just for cost, but also for wait times and what can happen in emergency rooms if if you're not acutely ill. So we've got to do better. And you're you're bringing up one of the areas where this wait to get to a doctor uh, it's unacceptable. And I'm sure, particularly here in San Diego, we can do much better. You spoke with former Vice President Al Gore about the intersection of AI and climate change. I'm wondering, are there any major takeaways from that conversation that you can share? Well, there's two things I'd mention. Uh, it was really a, a exhilarating discussion we had. A lot of people identify Al Gore as one of our world leaders in climate change, but he's also uh, quite an authority on AI. And he points out that we're heading to the point where we're not going to be the apex life form in terms of uh, intelligence uh, because the intelligence that we've already seen exhibited by these large language models in many 
situations exceeds that of human intelligence. It's not just that these models are some kind of stochastic parrot, but they actually are coming up with cause and effect and doing things that um, we know represents more intelligence than we ever seen by machines. But the other thing is that because the amount of graphic processing units, these computing units that are required to train these models is enormous, you know, to tens of thousands of GPUs to train uh, GPT-4 and, and others, uh, the amount of electricity that's consumed and the amount of water that's needed to keep these um, computing uh, facilities uh, cooled is enormous. So it could make climate change worse. And one of the things he pointed out also is he thinks, he's sure, that AI will help us come up with solutions for the climate crisis. We haven't seen so many of those yet from AI, but as he asserts, it's getting more intelligent all the time. I've been speaking with Dr. Eric Topol, director of the Scripps Research Translational Institute in La Jolla. And Dr. Topol, as always, thanks for talking with us today. Oh, thanks so much, Jay. How do you feel about doctors using artificial intelligence? Are the possibilities exciting or does it all make you a bit nervous? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. Coming up, the conversation continues as we look ahead to how AI could soon be used. You know, you can improve diagnostic effectiveness with the help of a super intelligent digital sidekick. And that's been the vision for artificial intelligence in every field for a long time. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. Earlier in the show, we heard from a renowned medical expert on the potential impacts AI could have in the field of medicine. The future of AI in healthcare may look bright, but our next guest argues, for now, the reality of things is a little more grounded. Steve Lohr is a reporter for the New York Times who covers technology and its impact on healthcare. He joins us now. Steve, thanks for being here. Thanks for inviting me, Jade. So AI in healthcare, it's, uh, it's not just a pipe dream. Uh, it's currently being used now. Can you tell us a bit about how it's being used to aid physicians in the field? Yeah, uh, one, of the th- is, one of the things it's being used to is to, to lessen the, this horrible uh, documentation burden that uh, doctors and nurses have of cons- typing up uh, their reports for billing and for patient records. And that can take hours in a day and sometimes often lasts into the evening, particularly for primary care physicians. And they talk about that as pajama time, you know, keeping up with the digital paperwork. And so what, what the latest, the generative AI developments have done have made it possible to just have your smartphone, turn on an app. Uh, It listens to the conversation between the doctor and the patient. It makes a summary both for the patient at a kind of simplified level, so-called fourth grade reading level. uh, And then for the doctor, it, it makes a patient report that complies with both treatment and billing requirements. And it seems to be pretty effective. It's, it's improved a lot in the last year or so. 
Is AI just being used to ease the burden of paperwork or is, is there more? Yeah, sure. There's, I mean, there's other things that artificial intelligence has been used for for a while. I mean, what, what we're talking about here with this generating summaries and the like and the sort of chat GPT style is what's called generative. Uh, there's also uh, predictive AI, which has been around for, for a while and been developing for a while. And there are the Federal Food and Drug Administration has uh, approved a number of AI algorithms for things like reviewing and spotting uh, cell clusters in in x-rays and radiology. That's less the sort of, it's that's a, an assist rather than this kind of clever assistant that's being used. And and there are other uses. I mean, there's, one of the things people are using it for is, is to communicate with patients, to help them you know, write sympathetic letter notes and messages to patients and communicate with them. They're, they've used chat GPT as, as a way to kind of get that started. It's also being used for other kinds of messaging as well. And people, the, the broad view is that it will again, transform things that every doctor will have this super intelligent uh, guardian angel looking over their shoulder with giving them recommendations and and suggestions that will, and that guardian angel will have digested all of medical literature and will be up to date. Um, and, you know, that's this sort of this uh, intelligent assistant that will help them make diagnostic decisions in the future. Uh, it's you know, it's not here now. It it's coming. There's a debate about how quickly it will come, and and you know what what hurdles it will face along the way in terms of regulation, legal requirements, and the like. Medicine is not a free range for experimentation and innovation. You know, this, you don't do beta tests, or you shouldn't <laughs> in medicine. Even though they call <laughs> it medical practice, but yes, yes exactly. <laughs> I mean, it sounds like AI is uh, really solving a lot of problems for people in the medical field. One of those things I would imagine is burnout. So where yeah. where does AI fit into that conversation? Again, this reducing this, you know, the documentation, the paperwork burden. And if you can take two or three hours in a day out of, you know, this kind of clerical work that doctors have to do, um, that reduces the stress considerably. And when surveys are done of doctors and nurses, one of their prime complaints is all the all the work on the electronic health record that they have to do and all the typing. One of the people I talked to for this story was developed some of this. His father was a physician. He said his dad got out of the field. He just couldn't type fast enough anymore. I mean, so are all doctors now using AI assistance? I mean, how widespread is its use? It's still early. It's still early for this kind of thing. And doctors, te technology has been used before. The automated speech recognition for transcription, there's been things like that that doctors have tried along the way. But if you go to, you know, go to most doctors these days, you're still, you know, they're typing, right? They're often at a computer. That isn't going to change overnight, but it is beginning to, uh, you know, to move into physicians' offices. But it's, it's fairly early days for the kind of, kind of fully automated summary of a conversation and, 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 you know, reports, the kind of, you know, digital scribe that I've described. Is there any hesitance to adopt this kind of technology within the field? Yeah, I mean, you know, people have to check it first to, even though it writes the note, you have to look over it. And this this technology is kind of now famous for sort of making things up, so-called hallucinations. And hallucinations don't work in, you know, in, in medicine or shouldn't. So there was a lot of that kind of concern at the outset. And 
you know, before people have tried it. And many people have been through, you know, previous iterations of, you know, great promises about how technology is going to transform healthcare, right? You know, it's like one of life's first principles. Everything takes longer and costs more than originally advertised. But there is this sense with current state of play of this technology that it, that it is sort of a watershed. And this technology could really make a dent in that, that p- digital paperwork burden that doctors and nurses face. So, Steve, we often hear about a lack of human connection in medicine as a result Mm. of these increasing patient loads and so on. So is there a sense that AI could help doctors spend more face-to-face time with their patients? Yeah, absolutely. And some of the people that have used this technology have been real enthusiasts. I mean, they say, you know, I'm finally 100% present for my patients. And that's, you know, it's funny that technology might be the tool to make, make the sort of the healthcare process more human. That is certainly, I mean, one of the areas for real optimism. Aside from more face-to-face time with patients, um, what are the doctors you spoke with saying about the benefits of AI? I mean, again, it's less time doing clerical tasks, so freed up more time to do other things and follow up follow up with patients for preventive care and that kind of thing. So that's been... and. There are studies that show uh, patients forget, you know, 80% of what's in the doctor's office, right, over the course of a, of a few days. And so you had this, uh, this record that is easy, fairly easily searchable, and they're called medical moments uh, uh, for covers medific- uh, medications, wellness suggestions, and the like, that the person can, you know, there's a little icon, they can tap on it, and they can listen to that portion of the conversation again to remind them. So they like, you know, doctors like that in terms of of patient care. We've been zeroing in on doctors, but let's talk a bit more about patients. How might patients benefit from AI in healthcare? Better communication, constant kind of updates and and tailored care, potentially. I mean, you know, so much of healthcare spending and people suffering is based on kind of, you know, chronic illnesses with heart disease, cancer, that sort of thing. And these are, you know, the diabetes, asthma, these are conditions you manage over time so that, you know, the traditional way most people deal with healthcare is you go to the doctor when something's wrong, as opposed to a more continuous communication where, you know, you can be suggested to make sure you take your medicine and follow up by various things. You can, it can be potentially a much more personalized, you know, treatment for, uh, for patients. So that as opposed to going to the doctor a couple of times a year and, you know, here's this, and then you leave and come back only when there's a real problem. We touched on this earlier, but what kind of advances do they hope AI will be able to make in medicine in the future? In the future, the, the, I mean, the big target is diagnosis that's not there yet. But again, this, you know, you can improve diagnostic effectiveness with the help of a digital, super intelligent digital sidekick. And that's you know, been the vision for artificial intelligence in every field for a long time. But it starts to feel particularly this, you know, chat GPT style uh, generative artificial intelligence that that actually that this may really open the door to 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 that world. What are some of the biggest barriers to adopting these more advanced applications of AI into medicine? Well, first you have to prove they work. Right? So so there's that. Um, and then it's a highly regulated field. It's you know it's strained already, and introducing anything new is many people will feel, doctors and nurses, oh, this is another new thing, 
so it has to prove itself that it really does save time and effectiveness. And then there's all the regulatory and legal concerns that um, uh, that are legitimately there. I mean, nobody these days is taking a, you know a person your health record with all your background history and stuffing it into Chat GPT and asking it for a diagnosis. I mean, that's you know probably a violation of law. <laughs> of HIPAA <laughs> to, do, to do that. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it is a huge high stakes field that's under strain already. So technology is great if it can prove that it works and, and really delivers a benefit. But, you know, you kind of win those battles one by one. And doctors, nobody, nobody is that I was aware of is forcing doctors to do this. This is something that's made available to them through you know, they're part of a medical center system or something. And so they're trying it out. And, you know, you have to kind of win hearts and minds. There's also a lot of fear that AI will be a job killer in certain job sectors. Mm. I mean, does that fear persist in the medical world, given that it's proven to be a, a pretty valuable resource? Yeah, not so much in the medical field, um, just because everything we deal with is there's a shortage, right? Um, particularly post-COVID of doctors, nurses, uh, medical technicians of all kinds. Uh, this is not gonna. This is not gonna knock people. And then in any near term, you know, within five years, it's not gonna eliminate jobs, except may, in medical transcription, which has been a declining field for a while already because uh, voice recognition has eaten into that. But otherwise, you know, if you can help doctors and nurses do less tedious tasks that, and to free up some more time in their day. Uh, that's, you know, that's a big win that, that doesn't, it doesn't look like it's going to be a job killer in that field in the way that in some fields it, it may well be. I've been speaking with New York Times tech reporter, Steve Lohr. Steve, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jade. Appreciate it. Coming up, one local journalist allowed AI to run her life for a week and she lives to tell us about it. Though ChatGPT is generating a lot of buzz right now for feeling more on the intelligence side than the artificial side of artificial intelligence, there is still this sense that it doesn't totally know what it's talking about. KPBS Midday Edition is back after the break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. Welcome back. You're listening to KPBS Midday Edition. I'm Jade Hindman. For our next segment, we're going to go in a slightly different direction. We've been talking about the use of AI, particularly in the field of medicine here on Midday Edition today. But as our next guest can attest, artificial intelligence can have plenty of everyday applications. Just ask San Diego Magazine associate editor Amelia Rodriguez. She let AI run her life for an entire week, and she's here now to give us her takeaways. Amelia, welcome. Hello. I have so many questions here. (laughs) 
You let AI run your life for a week. I mean, that seems like a pretty big leap of faith. Uh, where did this idea come from? So artificial intelligence has been a topic of conversation in the San Diego Magazine office um, for a while now. I think anything that um, has, runs the risk of disrupting your entire industry, um, it's something that you pay attention to. Um, so a lot of my colleagues were kind of playing around with AI for a while. You know, we had um, our digital editor, Nicole Monaco, um, was meal planning with ChatGPT. Um, our CEO, Claire Johnson, um, let AI generate headshots for her um, that she didn't use anymore. She was just curious about how um, well the the technology could recreate her face. Um, and so I became really curious about what else AI can do. Um, originally, it started as sort of a story that was um, about meal planning with ChatGPT, but it really took on a life of its own. I kept finding different ways um, to sort of hand over the reins <laughs> to artificial intelligence, um, and it grew into what you see on our site now. Wow. I mean, and of course, you know, I would imagine some people might be a little uncomfortable with this idea. Did you have any reservations? Definitely. Um, I think that for one, um, the aspect that was most uncomfortable for me was definitely I created a Bumble BFF account. Um, my photos were AI generated, my bio was AI generated, and all of the conversations that I had with folks, all of my responses were AI generated. Um, and that's a relatively low stakes use of AI for human interaction. But, you know, Ezra Klein was just writing about the film Her for the New York Times and kind of talking about what might happen when, if and when AI becomes our companions. Um, and we are like in social relationships with artificial intelligence. And I think that me having these conversations with people using ChatGPT brings up some of those fears for me and probably for other people. Um, you know, the, the immediate question is, are we going to be able to tell when we're talking to someone who, who isn't real? Um, and I think that was my fear. I didn't want to to sort of trigger that fear for people. And that was my, my biggest reservation going in. It sounds so fascinating, yet so creepy at the same time. I mean, are people... Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, so are people like actually doing this that you're aware of? I mean, assigning entire life decisions to artificial intelligence? I don't think so. I think that um, people are becoming aware of ChatGPT, especially its potential um, as a useful tool. Um, certainly prompts can be refined. Um, I talk at the end of the article about some of the ways that people can use ChatGPT to streamline their lives, you know, meal planning, exercise planning. And it can certainly make things easier for people who are first sort of stepping into those realms. But I think that even though ChatGPT is generating a lot of buzz right now for feeling um, more on the intelligence side than the artificial side of artificial intelligence, there is still this sense that at least when I use it, it doesn't totally know what it's talking about. Um, I didn't feel convinced um, by anything that ChatGPT was telling me to do. Um, and I didn't see like a huge improvement in my life. Um, from letting it run it for a week. And so I think that we are not at a point where people are really relying on artificial intelligence to shape their decisions.
So which decisions did you allow AI to make for you during the week? So I used a few different apps to generate all of my life decisions. Um, I used ChatGPT a lot. Um, It was planning my meals. It was planning my workouts. And it was writing those responses um, to people on Bumble BFF. It was also, um, it wrote a text to my girlfriend. Um, So I was using it to interact with folks. And then I also allowed artificial intelligence to plan my outfit. So there's an app called Style DNA where you can upload all of your clothing. I spent hours photographing everything that I owned. And then it generated outfits based on that. Did you find that useful? I found that it was sort of nice to have my outfit assigned to me every morning, but I wasn't always happy with what I got. Um, I think if I wasn't doing an experiment of this nature, um, that's not something that I would do all the time. But I do think that if the app got smarter and I was able to input more of my style preferences, um, if I was able to tell the AI what the weather was today, um, I would find it more useful. I might use it in my everyday life. I mean, it takes a lot of the energy of decision making first thing in the morning off your plate. I could see that being really useful. Definitely. And I think for a lot of people, you know, young professionals coming into the workplace and not knowing how to dress for an office setting, for example, if someone were to create AI that could help um, take those decisions off your plate and create like appropriate outfits for the workplace, that would be super useful for people. You know, a lot of discussion surrounding everyday use of AI involves how this Um, this is all really kind of a work in progress and a little clunky. So did you find that to be the case with any of these decisions? Definitely. Um, A lot of the prompts took refining. um, And it definitely people in my life who were um, better at using ChatGPT than I am. My brother um, reminded me that you can ask um, for different answers from ChatGPT. You can tell them you don't like what them. You can tell the AI that you don't like what it said. But it definitely takes a lot of refining to get the kind of responses that you want from it. Um, And also a lot of the outfits that style DNA was generating generating for me were just silly. You know, I, I don't think we're at a point where we can plug things into a machine and magically have it take over everything. Darn. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, so give us your takeaways. Was this an effective way to run your life for a week? I mean, I know you see some potential here, right? Yeah, I don't think that we're at a point where AI should be running anyone's life. I would just encourage anyone exploring ChatGPT and other forms of artificial intelligence to think of it as a tool, Um, you know, Paper planners are another tool that helped me streamline my life. Um, But if someone handed me a paper planner full of things I should be doing, I would not listen because they don't know my life. Um, I think that's the biggest failure right now is that, you know, ChatGPT is not a doctor. It's not a nutritionist. It's not a personal trainer. It can't have conversations with you about what you need and why the meal that it gave you hurt your stomach. Um, I think that we know our bodies best, we know our lifestyles best, and artificial intelligence, especially right now, um, is not able to to fill in um, that key element of, 
of the uniqueness of every human being that's using it. I mean, did you have any favorites in this experiment? You know, I'm wondering if this process made you rethink um, how you approach something like food or fashion. So my favorite artificial intelligence that I used was actually Spotify's AI DJ. Its name is Xavier. And Xavier gives you music recommendations. Um, Xavier comes in every few songs to switch up the vibe, tells you sort of the motivation behind that switch. Um, A lot of the time it's, you know, songs that you were listening to at a certain point in your life or a certain genre. Um, But I am a serial re-listener. I am not very good at going out and finding new music on my own. And so it was actually a really wonderful way to hear new music, discover new artists, um, while still getting to hear my favorite songs and not having to go out and, and seek that out on my own. So I would definitely recommend trying out Xavier. And it's very, it didn't feel intrusive into my life in the same way that other things did, which was really nice. That's pretty cool. I mean, would you recommend that anyone try this? I mean, it seems like a pretty interesting way to structure your life, even on a short term basis, to just get familiar with artificial intelligence. I think that um, certainly it's worth experimenting with. It's worth inputting some prompts. It's worth thinking about the ways that AI could help you structure your life. So if you are struggling, um, I really struggled to plan for breakfast. Um, I'm not very good at eating breakfast in the morning. And so the fact that every morning I had to get up and make the breakfast that AI told me to make made a huge difference. Actually, I had more energy during the day. Um, But I also found myself wishing that I hadn't committed quite so hard to doing exactly what it said, because sometimes I wanted an avocado on my omelet or sometimes I wanted cheese on my burger. And so I would encourage anyone who's experimenting with AI and, you know, with these sort of plans that it can deliver to be flexible and to take them as a jumping off point um, and then sort of adapt according to what you need that day. So I think it's a good starting point. All right. Very interesting. I've been speaking with San Diego Magazine Associate Editor Amelia Rodriguez. Amelia, thank you so much for talking with us today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. With all of its uses, are you worried AI could take over humanity? Or are you excited about its potential? Give us a call at 619-452-0228. Leave a message or you can email us at midday at kpbs.org. We love sharing your ideas right here on the show. And if you ever miss a show, you can find the Midday Edition podcast on all platforms. I'm Jade Hindman. Thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.